This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 427. This is the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, we road test the M1-powered MacBook Air and 13-inch MacBook Pro, and boy, was I impressed. There's a new streaming service for those who love British TV. And in the celebrity tech segment, we interview news icon Sandra Sully. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to run our eye over the Netgear Orbi 4GX, which connects you without the NBN. We'll also share our verdict on Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, and we'll also check out the Xiaomi Mi, which is a portable air pump that can top up your tyres. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, in last week's show, we spoke about the announcement of the MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro, uh, the M1 chip, more importantly, the M1 silicon that Apple announced that will now power their these Macs moving forward, and the whole Mac lineup will be cut over, will be transitioned to the M1 silicon uh, over the next couple of years. And or, or right off the bat, they, they announced three new Macs. They, there was the Mac Mini, uh, the 13-inch MacBook Pro, and the MacBook Air. And we received, uh, within a day of that announcement, the MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro and have been using them for the past week and a half. Uh, and we've published our review on Tech Guide. And our one-word review would be, wow, because these offer not only tremendous improvement in performance, but also a remarkable improvement in battery life, and that's 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 kind of the that's the holy grail for for processor manufacturers is getting that performance, and also offering the battery life also because the getting good performance it comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of your battery. Anyone who's had a high performing laptop will tell you that, yes, it performs great and really churns through those tasks, but if you're using it away from a PowerPoint, you're going to be desperate to find a PowerPoint because it really also churns through the battery. Now, that's not the case with the M1, the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro, uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro, and I did put them through uh, their paces by doing things like editing videos on Final Cut Pro, uh, photos on uh, on Adobe Photoshop, also playing some uh, graphics-heavy games as well. So we did give them a good run, and uh, I've got to say, I have not seen as big an improvement in performance and battery from one generation of product to the next. This is the biggest improvement I've ever seen. Just just on the battery side, it was nearly twice as long as what we'd experienced previously on those products. So. That that we, we, no, it's telling you that about a laptop's battery is it, it should be great news for those who work on the go, have to work through those intensive applications and just do things on the move. That is tremendous news right there. Now, as I mentioned, they're both powered to, uh, with this M1 chip, which is Max, uh, the Apple's new what they call SOC, which is a system on a chip. So what it's done, it's combined all of these different components that are normally spread out on a motherboard all into one tiny bit of silicon. And that in itself provides added efficiency. So not only speed of performance, but also efficiency as well. Now the first, uh, as we said, the first cabs off the rank with the new M1 is the MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro, which we have reviewed on Tech Guide. 
and uh, we found just a, a world of improvement. And you'll easily notice the difference whether you're just a casual user, just just unlocking the these these MacBooks, uh, the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, just unlocking them with your fingerprint was much faster. So little things like that you notice. So imagine the improvement in performance when you're rendering or outputting a Final Cut Pro video that you just edited or adding complex titles or adding some effects to an image or editing an image and rendering it in real time. So all all these workflows, which I probably haven't scratched the surface of some of the workflows you guys might put them through, whether whether you're a graphic designer, a game designer, whether you're playing the latest high-intensively graphic game as well. I'm graphic, as I mean, is the graphics themselves, not the, the graphic content. I mean the, the, the performance of the game. The, those games are, are pretty much, uh, they, do, they do require a lot of uh, power from your processor so that they can have a, a, a respectable frame rate. Uh, and, and graphics performance is another thing that's improved here. And people explain, well, how do, how, how do, you, how do graphics improve? Are there graphics? Well, the answer to that is that Graphics performance improve here because because of this, the the improved graphic the GPU the graphics processing unit it can help run the game at a higher frame rate so it looks smoother looks better looks cleaner that's the improvement you see graphics wise so I, I do I have had people saying well how do graphics improve are graphics are just graphics well no they're not they do perform they look smoother they look better when there's a great processor behind them, and the M1 certainly provides that. But on the CPU side, which is the performance side, that is also uh, rock solid as well. And the M1 chip has an 8-core CPU, to be precise, and up to 8-core GPU. So uh, these achieve, these come together and give the performance, but also the power at the same time. And so this really completes... This is like the holy trinity for computers here because Apple, they build the hardware. They've always done that. They also build the software. They've always done that. And Mac, the Mac OS Big Sur, which has just came out last week, that's kind of the secret sauce here as well because this software is designed to work with the M1 processor. So the other part of, the, of that is the processor itself. Now, in the past... Yes, Apple ran their hardware with their software, but it was an Intel processor. So they didn't own that part of the process. Well, now with the M1, as I said, it's the holy trinity of computers. They've got the hardware running on their software and on their processor. That is the big difference here, and this blows the competition away. Now, just to give you an example of how well these perform, I normally, for those of you who, who who read Tech Guide and also watch my videos on our on our YouTube channel, Tech Guide AU, I always embed my videos on my Tech Guide stories on the website. But for those of you who support that channel, thank you very much. Please subscribe to, to my YouTube channel, Tech Guide AU. But all of the videos we put up on, on YouTube, that we, we shoot them and we edit them on Final Cut Pro. Now, what I normally do is edit my videos on my iMac. Now, my iMac is a 27-inch Retina 5K 2019 model with an 8-core Intel i9 processor running at 3.6 gigahertz, and it has 64 gig of RAM. So this is specced up to the hilt, okay? This is no slouch, this iMac that I edit my videos on. Can I just tell you that the MacBook Air... Not the 13-inch MacBook Pro, the, 13, the, the MacBook Air, which also has a 13-inch screen, actually performed better than my iMac. Now, that in itself is huge. Now, a lot of you might be asking, the MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro have the same M1 processor. So the question, the obvious question is, why the hell should I buy a 13-inch MacBook Pro when I can get a cheaper MacBook Air? And you know what? That's a valid question. But here's the difference. The difference is the thermal performance of these laptops. Now, the MacBook Air, it has a fanless design, which means no fan, it is silent. You won't hear a thing. And when it gets to a certain temperature, so say you're tuning through a video, you're editing this complex video or playing this game, 
What happens after a while, if the chip starts to reach a certain temperature, the M1 chip, and you've got to keep in mind that the, it, it, the computer is smart enough not to let the computer overheat and the processor to overperform. So what happens, it, it throttles back on the processor so that it cannot overheat the MacBook Air. So the difference then with the MacBook 13-inch MacBook Pro, it has far superior thermal performance. So it's got a fan, it's got vents. So in other words, it'll do more faster for longer. So if you're someone who's editing video in the field for eight hours straight, then the MacBook Pro is your is likely your best your best fit. The MacBook Air may may run solid for three hours, but then it'll throttle back because it's getting because the thermal performance and just the, the actual design and build of the computer can't keep up with that kind of performance. So that is the difference. I've had that question a lot too from from you guys asking, well, why should I pay extra for that? Well, if you're not doing those high end things and you still want the speed and performance, the MacBook Air is probably your best bet. In fact, I've been using the MacBook Air more than the 13-inch MacBook Pro because it's lighter. And what I'm doing basically is some pretty basic editing, basic photo editing, writing. So I'm, I'm hardly putting this... This thing's hardly raising a sweat for me. So the MacBook Air is, is fine for that. If you require something where you want to play games for much longer... You want to you want to edit your videos. You want to be you want to do your three D rendering or design your game, whatever you're doing for a long time on the go, away from a PowerPoint. Then the MacBook Pro is is probably your a, a better a better suit a better uh, a better choice for you in that regard. So both of these these MacBook Air, the MacBook 13 inch MacBook Pro, and the MacBook Air. Um, the, the, the workflows that we put them through, as I said, probably doesn't compare to the similar workflows that you have. But being doing things like color correcting 6K video in real time, uh, that, that's what some people have done with Blackmagic's DaVinci Resolve software. That's possible now with, the, with these computers. That was unheard of before this. Playing games like Shadow of the Tomb Raider, that's one of those really heavy graphics, graphics-heavy game. 3.1 times faster graphics performance. So looks smoother, played at a higher frame rate, looks beautiful. Uh, and just, just so you know as well, developers uh, have a choice of using Apple's universal platform. That's what the computers have now, so that a developer can utilize the universal platform so their applications will still run well on an Intel-based Mac and on an M1 Mac. And even if the app hasn't been transitioned or the application hasn't been transitioned to the universal platform, there's also an app called Rosetta 2, which is an Apple-made application that will allow them to still run seamlessly on M1 Macs that are running Mac OS Big Sur. That's the latest operating system. So uh, that's like a translator that can still make these programs run, run pretty reliably and seamlessly on there as well. Uh, again, both have 13-inch Retina displays. Both have two Thunderbolt USB-C ports. Both have Wi-Fi 6. And the big difference, as I mentioned, is the thermal performance. So uh, bottom line, the 13-inch MacBook Pro can perform at higher speeds for longer. That's the big difference. The MacBook Air, fanless designs. But it, if you are churning through some heavy-duty stuff, there is a limitation. So when the chip starts to heat, it'll it'll rather than overload the system, it'll pull back to stay within its thermal limits. The M1 powered MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro are brilliant machines. If you're in the market for a laptop now, and I, I couldn't recommend a laptop higher than these two right now, and the differences we've explained between the 13-inch MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air, that's up to you to decide which is the right suit, the right fit for what you do, what what suits you best, but. If you want to find out more, see our review. Watch our video as well. You can find that at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. There is another streaming service. We've got another one to choose from, and this is a cool one. This is called BritBox. Now, if you're a fan of British drama and comedy, and that's some of the best shows in the world are from from Britain, from BBC Studios, ITV. They're, they've actually partnered. Those two studios I mentioned, BBC and ITV, they partnered to form BritBox. It's already available in the US, Canada, and the UK. Has just this week launched in Australia. 
and we've got specially curated uh, content to include a mixture of the classics and contemporary British series, along with all your premier titles across your favourite genres, crime, comedy, mystery, drama, all there. If you're a Doctor Who fan, this you have to get this because uh, it's actually I'm recording on November 23rd, which is actually a globally known day as Doctor Who Day. Can you believe what a, what an appropriate day for BritBox to launch in Australia? And with BritBox, you've got every series run which ran from 1963 with the first Doctor William Hartnell, all the way through to the latest with Jodie Whittaker, the first female Doctor, and. That, that's including Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, Tom Baker, Peter Davidson, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, uh, all, all of these, David Tennant, Peter Capaldi, all of these doctors, uh, you can see every single series just in one place. Now, that, that is, I think, the worth the price of price alone. It's $8.99 a month, $89.99 for a 12-month subscription. You can also see complete seasons of, of other popular shows, including Prime Suspect, starring Academy Award winner Helen Mirren, uh, and also other programs like Mr Bean, Blue Planet, The Office, starring Ricky Gervais, Top Gear, Absolutely Fabulous, and Black Adder. All of your favourite shows are all right here, and you can watch them on several platforms, so you can view it via the web, on your iPhone, iPad, Android smartphones and tablets, via a Chromecast, Apple TV, fourth generation and newer, Samsung smart TVs, LG smart TVs, Telstra TV, and also Fetch TV. So any of those, you can get BritBox, $8.99 a month, $89.99 for the year. Now, there's also uh, there's some comedies on there too, and one in particular caught my eye, Spitting Image, and this is back after a 20-year hiatus, would you believe? And they're getting right into it. They've uh, got some new series to uh, to air, and it does include a Spitting Image, have a version of Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison. We've got a photo of him, his Spitting Image, spitting image on, um, on Tech Guide, on our story. Uh, that you can expect, of course, there's going to be others like Donald Trump's going to look pretty pretty funny on this show as well, as well as other leaders. This is a satirical program that that's, uh, goes goes back a bit, but as I said, had a 20 year break and is now back. And you can see all those new series, the new shows on BritBox, along with other new programs as well. There are uh, new release shows uh, that that are available to watch, including A Confession, which stars Martin Ferguson. Appropriate Adult, starring Emily Watson and Dominic West, uh, as well as all your favourites. So all, all of that content, good, old and new, and your favourites, and all the Doctor Whos, of course. They're all there. That's what I'll be watching straight away, all the Doctor Whos. Like, I'm a big fan of the, of the... I sort of grew up... I was a, in, in high school when uh, John Pertwee and then Tom Baker came into it, and also Peter Davidson, and I've been a fan ever since. I wasn't alive when the show started back in 1963, but I did pick it up uh, in with John Pertwee as the Doctor, and I've been following it ever since. If you're a fan of Doctor Who and all those other great British TV shows, comedies, dramas, and thrillers, yeah, then BritBox is a great fit for you. If you want to find out a little bit more and check it out for yourself, you know where to head to, techguide.com.au. Now, uh, joining us on Celebrity Tech this week, our segment is Sandra Sully. You know her from uh, her work on Channel 10. She's the newsreader in both Sydney and Brisbane. Uh, she has been a newsreader for some time, one of the most experienced news people in the business in Australia. In fact, cast your mind back to 2001, and in particular September 11, she was actually on air during the 9-11 attacks, she was actually live on TV with a late-night late news program when all of that was happening, and we do talk to her about that. We also talk to her, of course, about how uh, her use of tech and how, how she uses Twitter, what she thinks of, uh, of Google and Facebook and whether they should actually pay news sites to use their content and link to their content, and how uh, Australian journalism is faring in this digital world. And we also talk about her uh, her dislike of Siri as well. Is uh, one of the many interesting topics that we discussed with Sandra Sully. We're thrilled to be joined by Sandra Sully. She's a news icon. Welcome to the show. 
Well, that's a stretch, but good day, Stephen. How are you going? Yeah, going great. We're, 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 our podcast, the Tech Guide podcast, obviously all about technology, and our segment, Celebrity Tech, is all about how people like yourself, people in the media, sport, entertainment, and how they use technology in their life. I'd imagine for you, the, the being in the news game for, for these years, technology's kind of made your job a bit easier. Is that is that fair to say, that finding information and sharing that information? Yeah, look, in the last decade, Twitter's become, you know, a principal news source. And, you know, for good or bad, um, in our business, it's where you get breaking news. So that's really helpful. Um, I'm not on every platform. I find it a bit exhausting, to be honest. So, you know, you just can't be everywhere and you don't have time for everything. Um, if anything, COVID has taught us that, um, you know, focus on what's important, pair back a lot of the rubbish and the noise in your life. So, look, Twitter's a primary news source. I, I can't be bothered with Facebook at all. I'm, yeah. I'm there really only as that news person. Yep. I don't do much in the space at all. And I, I'm not really comfortable with the platform, to be honest. I don't like, yeah, there's a lot yeah. I don't like about it. Yeah, the Twitter Twitter's a, a great platform for, like you said, breaking news. We hear news for the first time on Twitter. It's very, it's a, it's a perfect platform for that kind of breaking news, that, that whole find it out first kind of platform, isn't it? It is a breaking news platform. It's also an echo chamber, so mostly it's only relevant for people in the news game, and that's why I know a lot of other people, you know, prefer Instagram and Facebook. You know, every taxpayer in this country pays pay Channel 10 and, and the other free-to-airs aside. You're also paying for the ABC, and they've got an amazing digital network, and people can access that and be pretty confident about the quality of the news source. Absolutely. I just want to take you back, though. I can remember tuning in on September 11, 2001. I just got home from the office. It was at night night time here in Australia. And you were on air when the first of the air, the attacks occurred on, on the World Trade Center. Now, that was a yeah. pretty crazy time. Take us through that. And how, how would – imagine if that had happened today. How different would that have been with Twitter and with all this information at our at our fingertips? Well, to be honest, yeah, Twitter didn't exist then, and uh, there was really only one cable broadcaster then, which was CNN, and we used to all rely worldwide uh, on a news wire service, which was really over the internet, and you'd get it on your computer, and they all froze. So there was no wire copy, there was no information, it was like, you know, the internet went dead, Um, and the world froze in horror at what was unfolding, so... On the night, there was no information. You literally just got that one feed from CNN. And the broadcasters, or, you know, as they call it, the anchors at the time, they they were silent in, in fear of what they were witnessing. So, look, up until, you know, up until 2020, um, that was the most calamitous event on a global scale in living memory. Um, and then, of course, bushfires happened, you know, at the end of last year, start of this year, and now COVID. And... And, you know, in America alone, they're losing um, more people every day than they lost in September 11. And no one could ever have imagined that we would wake up where we are now. So yeah, it's hard, it's hard to keep up sometimes. But, you know, I like everyone else just to take it one day at a time and go from there. Yeah. Absolutely, I, I see on Twitter. I do follow you on Twitter. I see you. You're pretty active. I, I think you. I like how you do a lot of retweeting. You, you you retweet a lot of stuff that's relevant to 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 your followers, and you do your own tweets, of course. But I, I like how you you really get in there and not, not only share Channel 10's content and other content, but other people's other people's stories as well. I think, um, like for me, Stephen, it's about sharing viewpoints that I think are, are relevant in the current environment or whatever an issue is that's bubbling along. So. You know, I'm a fan of a, you know, for example, it might be Ross Gittins, you know, the economics writer. And whenever he writes something, I think he, he's always thought-provoking and it's always considered. Um, I don't have to agree with everything I retweet, but it's about getting perspective and a variety of viewpoints so that those that follow Twitter can, can say, well, actually, I hadn't thought about it from that angle. That might, you know, get me to reconsider my view or be left more tolerant of others with that viewpoint. Absolutely, yeah. Let, let's talk about you and your personal use of technology. You're you're a really busy person, and do you are you sort of the sort of person who uses tech? Like you got your your diary on your phone, and do you help organise yourself use, using your technology, or how how does that work yeah, for you? I'm I'm a little bit anal when it comes to being organised, and it's a running joke in my family. So 
it took me a long time, Stephen, to commit to Apple. I have to say, okay. I was a, an Android. You know, I was really? wedded to my BlackBerry for a long time. Okay, and I didn't want to submit to Apple, but I had eternal frustrations that calendars never syncing because I'm very organised and I, I live in a calendar, you know, diary, and I've got to coordinate my family, my daughters, my husbands. They're all independent, manage their own life, but. I'm the one that says it, it's got to, we've all got to know what we're all doing. So the internet and IT is really important for me and I'm, I'm very ordered, an ordered person and I like structure. So, um, yeah, I really like tech. I mean, I think it, be, it can be extremely helpful, but I think you have to also be mindful of how much time you spend on it. Like it does swallow up hours you'll never, ever get back and you've just got to be really you know, mindful that you don't lose yourself in it. Yeah, this is true. And and, and I think going back to Twitter, that, that I find Twitter does that to me too. If I'm on my Twitter, I realise I look down and I think half an hour's passed. I've been, it's led me down a rabbit hole of links and things like that. So that's definitely a consideration. You mentioned though too before that you you were a late convert to Apple. So you're an iPhone user. Are you Have you fully embraced this ecosystem now? Do you have a, you got an iPhone? Do you have an Apple Watch how deep into the Apple ecosystem are you now? Uh, yeah, I think you've got to commit. Um, I, I've spoken to a lot of people at you know various other platforms who say, look, all of the iCals and um, calendars sync up, and I'm not convinced they do it as well as being on one platform. Yeah. Um, it is a lot better than it was five years ago, that's for sure. Uh, I was given an iWatch, an Apple Watch, and um, an iWatch. Gosh, the jargon catches on, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and I did really enjoy it, but I don't like Siri at all. I, I don't Ooh. like the invasive nature of that. You can um, turn I it off. You, know. of, you can turn Siri off. I have. Okay. Yes, but you can turn it off. But what you what you have to do, Stephen, is go into every app and turn it off. So when you go into your settings, you can turn Siri off. But yeah. then when you go into your, you've actually then got to look at all the apps that Siri is applicable to and physically turn it off on every app as well. Okay. so Otherwise, right. it, it, it's too invasive, I think. Um, so I'm assuming you don't, use, Watch, you don't use Siri a lot then, by the sounds of it. You don't ask Siri for help or anything like that. So you, no, you prefer to no. just look, find your own way? I don't like um, the monitoring that's 24-7. I find that okay. invasive and, and borderline offensive, um, right. just as an individual, as okay. a citizen. Yeah. Um, I think they collect way too much data, and it's it, it's not a coincidence that you know, for example, one of our journalists the other day was doing a background piece on Princess Diana, and she got on Facebook and a couple of other different platforms to, and YouTube to have a look at. You know, she's a younger journalist, so you know, of course, she wasn't alive when it all happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's just been inundated with, you know, royal stuff, and it, I said that's just a classic example of how. Okay. You know, they're collecting data. I've got and a little theory, be... though. I have a theory about yes. that, though. And the theory is that yes. a lot of people, and you, you included, and and with good reason you think this, that the, the devices are listening to you. Uh, they The platforms tell me that they don't. Like the only time when they listen to you is when to hear, to hear you when you want to say, hey, Siri or Alexa or whatever you want to listen for. And there is also no, a choice. No. There is also a choice in the where you can't, you can choose not to have your um, analytics sent back to Apple. So if Siri, it, to, to perfect the system, you can choose not to do that. But my theory is, I, though, I my theory is that people say, look, it's listening to me for sure. When you're talking about things and, like, let's use Diana as the example here, the, the things that you are talking about, you suddenly notice and I'll give you the example of, I'm sure when you in the past, and I've done this, I'm look, I'm a fan of a certain type of car, I'm looking to buy a certain type of car, I suddenly see more of those cars because I'm noticing them. The same sort of thing no, I think no, happens no. online here. You notice stuff. that They've been there anyway, but now you're noticing them because you just talked about it. You don't reckon that's true? No, not at all, Stephen. There, okay. there, there is not, it is not a coincidence that, that your social feed or your um, internet search engine, be it Google or whatever it may be, is all of a sudden littered with royal paraphernalia out of left field. Um, yeah. My father had been unwell and, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm getting a lot of seniors insurance ads. <laughs> like, okay. that is not a coincidence. And I don't think they're listening in, a, in an active sense. It's an algorithm that 
Yeah, you know, it's also based on your searches too. What you search for is also plays a huge part in that as well. Yeah, of course. So you know, I don't think I, I don't think Big Brother in a in a really ugly way. Yeah. But I do think people have to be aware and mindful because we live in such a tech savvy world. And I love technology; it it helps us in so many ways. But I still think you can't be naive. It's like it's a it's like investing. You know, you don't buy things that you don't understand. Yeah. And you use technology and you should only use it to the degree that you understand it. Fair enough. So does, is that be fair to say then that no one should be buying you a smart speaker for Christmas then? You wouldn't have a smart speaker in your place? Will not have a smart smart. I have two and they're... Um, they're, they're, I'm actually loath to give them away as a present because I don't really <laughs> want to do that. Okay. But, yeah, anyone listening, don't buy Sandra Sully a smart speaker. Buy her something different. No judgment at all about what other people choose to do, but yep. I don't want listening devices in my house. I think your phone is bad enough. I do think at times you have to disentangle yourself from too much technology. Like, I'm someone that ca- carries cash, but I've also got a debit card yep. that, you know, I have in my phone. Okay. Um, and yet I see constantly people say, like, I just never have any cash. Well, mm. there, I've been caught out plenty of times, but, you know, where, where technology breaks down and if you don't, you don't yeah. have cash, you're in trouble. I've got one of those phone covers where I can keep a card. Ah, uh, right. Um, I've got a card in my wallet, as in the Apple wallet, but I choose when to use it. I don't okay. tap and go with my phone, No. I pull a card out and just tap with my debit card. Yeah, you mentioned something interesting before about how sort of you've got to technology is useful, but you've got to kind of keep it at arm's length and not let it take over your life. I'm assuming that's how you would sort of in your private life. You're not you're not engrossed into a into a, t- a device the whole time. Are you more of a reader, or do you watch streaming services? What 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 do you do at home yeah. with your tech? Look, without doubt, streaming services services are, are just you know glorious. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and they're lots of fun. I really enjoy that um, and and downloading stuff, you know. But at the same time, there's a, a point at which you've got to sort of monitor or log how much screen time you have. And I, I regard the television as very different. I grew up in a, in a very TV-friendly family. Yep. And um, I, I see the television as very different because you engage in that space socially and – I don't think it, you know, the television had that same, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it didn't have that same blue light technology. It may do now, mm. but um, I, I can be watching a show and I, I sleep very easily in front of the television, so it simply doesn't work the way <laughs> <laughs> regular screens yeah. do for me. Absolutely. Um, I love I love the streaming services. I, I do love technology, but yeah. um, I do think you have to constantly yeah. find those checks and balances in and make moderation. sure you, you haven't swallowed. Yeah. Yeah, being swallowed up down a hole. Yeah. So, um, so do you have an iPad? Do you, do you use a tablet? Is that a handy device for you to use uh, when you when you uh, when you yeah. need to find things out or view content? I was someone. I get four newspapers a day, and it took me a long time to give in to the iPad being my newspaper. Ah, so that's download. how you watch the you read your newspapers on the iPad now. Yeah, I miss having the weekend papers, but then I think about the environment, and, I, and I'm saving all that paper. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. You know, um, and I generally read the papers on my iPad in the traditional format, um, but I do flip between the digital version and the digital old layout. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do. Uh, exactly, yeah. You're now hosting not only the Sydney News, but also Brisbane News, so you're busier than ever nowadays. Yeah, I am. And I think, look, COVID sideswiped us all in an unusual fashion. Some of us, you know, unfortunately are looking for work and, and struggling with mental health, and I, I've got a bunch of friends who've never worked harder in their life. And for me, 2020, I don't think I've ever worked as hard. Yeah. And there's a relentless pressure to be engaged. Um, so it's it's a matter of saying, like, I'm done for the day. When do I switch off? I rarely, for example, tweet on weekends. Yep. So I absorb news and information on weekends. I, I may do two or three, but not my normal stream of of a Twitter feed um, because if you don't mentally say, well, this is my time, I'm not on at the moment, and find those parameters in a day where you switch on and off, you're just on all the time and that's just not healthy at all, I don't think. 
the situation in the uh, in the US, the 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 presidential election, and in the years of the Trump presidency, and this whole his whole notion of fake news and where people get their news, is that something we need to worry about? Where we read our news, like if people are reading stuff on Facebook and Twitter, and it's kind of presented to them because they like certain things, is that something we should be concerned about? How our news is filtered out to us nowadays. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and people need to be very mindful that those algorithms on those platforms will will warp your feed. There is value in quality journalism, and journalism's never been challenged um, before like it is now. So, you know, Australians, I think, really do need to value the free-to-air networks and uh, your trusted sources. And, you know, you may be anti-Murdoch, you may be anti-Fairfax, but you know, for example, I think, you know, you should support Australian journalism because you can be um, confident in the quality of journalism that's being presented, whether you're a Fairfax person, whether you're the New Daily, the Saturday paper, the Guardian. It's inexpensive when you think about the amount of money people waste on a coffee, and yet they don't actually want to spend money on a quality news feed. Yeah, so, you know, I would I would rather encourage people to download... Um, you know, the, the free-to-air commercial networks, news apps, and their news feeds, I would avoid Facebook. I mean, we all, all our networks publish on those platforms. Yep. Um, and if you can be certain that you're gonna, that's going to be in your feed and you can control your news feed, that's great. But you can't on Facebook. Yep. That's what I find the most annoying thing. So I would rather go to The Guardian. And look, you can look at The Guardian for free. It encourages you all the time to consider an investment you know, monthly or annually, and it is it is minuscule. But if you don't want to do that, and I understand everyone's, you know, financially challenged, the ABC has one of the best news services in the world, and you can get that, um, you know, the ABC radio, their news app, their wire services, it's just outstanding, you know, just outstanding. I mean, of course I'm going to barrack for 10, and I know the quality of what we do, and... Mm-hmm. What I would only ever urge people is to be mindful that we can't be all things to all people, and and we have this daily, you know, news struggle every every day about you know what we lead with, what's in our bulletin. But I remind people that we we can't be the Fin Review, and we're not the Australian. We're somewhere between, um, you know, the Daily Telegraph and the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. But that's our audience. Right, Absolutely. and we we talk to our audience. And if you want international news, you're also paying for SBS. Yeah. And for example, you know that SBS on-demand service, streaming service, is some of the best global streaming services in the world, and it's free, and you own it. Absolutely, so support it. Yeah, you know. And then there's Channel Access, and you know, there's so many good services that it really doesn't take any longer than to you know shut down <laughs> Facebook. And take a minute and download those really good Australian news apps and use them, and you'll get a quality news feed that you can trust. The recent yes. uh, struggle with the ACCC wanting Google and Facebook to pay for the news outlets for linking their news. What do you think of that? Should they do it? Do the do Australian news services deserve payment for what Google and Facebook do? Absolutely. Uh, you know they're killing us frankly. And uh, if they don't start paying up, you're going to see Australian journalism. If you think it's a challenge now, it's only going to get worse. And, you know, things like um, the Royal Commission's, um, you know, the financial services integrity pieces, uh, the things like the current Brereton Commission um, report into war crimes, all of those issues, the, the, the Royal Commission of the banking sector, none of that would have happened without quality Australian journalism. And I can't say, speak highly enough about the quality of Australian journalism. And, and look, I don't begrudge those other platforms having access to what we do, but, you know, they can't just pillage. Mm. <laughs> and they're raping and pillaging our commercial, our, our free-to-wear and Australian quality journalism. Uh, journalism and, and they have to pay a price. Um, because they're not contributing to the betterment of our democracy and, and, and the engagement of, of free speech. Um, they're not, because they're not paying for it. They're not investing in, in newsrooms in regional Australia. Regional Australia is, is um, 
is dying. Regional newsrooms in Australia are dying because we simply can't afford. They're gouging the advertising dollar and Australian media organisations cannot afford to subsidise newsrooms in regional Australia. And you wouldn't know what's going on in the Yorubadella Shire Council. You would never have known what happened in the Ipswich Council where you know people were found to be fraudulent and whichever local council it may be, you don't know what's going on unless you've got eyes and ears on the ground. And that costs money, but it's, it's an investment that we all benefit from. Thank you, Sandra. We really appreciate your time. Helps. I'm a big fan of yours, Stephen, and you've often got me back on the right track in your, um, in your tech talk. So thank you so much. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, there's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock, which helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam, and more. With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and data. Norton 360 Premium is available now at leading retailers. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Alrighty, kicking off our reviews this week well, is uh, one of our products from one of our sponsors, Netgear, the Orbi 4GX. Now, we've spoken about Orbi many times on the show and how it creates a mesh Wi-Fi network. Now, what it, how it normally works, say you've got the NBN, you connect one of the Orbi units to your NBN modem, and it will create a wireless network. There's a second unit or even a third unit if you want to have three that then links back to that first unit, creates this mesh Wi-Fi system in your home. Now, it has solved the problem for a lot of NBN customers because the router part of their modem is, pre- is pretty ordinary. Pretty, it's, pre- it's rubbish, to be honest. doesn't give them very good Wi-Fi coverage, whereas the Orbi gives you this amazing mesh Wi-Fi coverage. Now, what do you do, though, if you can't get the NBN or don't want the NBN but you still want to have a mesh Wi-Fi system in your home. What do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you look at the Netgear Orbi 4GX router with satellite. The category number is LBK1220. Now, this doesn't require an NBN plan, doesn't require a traditional internet plan of any kind. It works off a Telstra SIM card. So if you've got a Telstra data plan, you slip that that SIM card into the back of the main unit and the Orbi app can set this up in minutes. It will confirm the service and the fact that it's connected and it is also creating a Wi-Fi network. So once you've got your data plan, insert the SIM card, this home unit, the main unit, will then start, will then produce a Wi-Fi network. Now, with the secondary, the second satellite, the smaller unit, that, like the normal Orbi, is placed in a central part of your home, and that then creates your mesh Wi-Fi network powered through the Telstra 4GX connection. Now, it's not 5G, but even at 4G, the Telstra SIM card can provide download speeds of up to 300 megabits per second. That's still three times faster than the NBN, by the way. So you're not you're not lacking in speed there. And you, this unit can also connect up to 30 Wi-Fi devices. So there's no problem connecting your TV, your gaming console, your set-top box, your tablet, your laptop, your phone. Your smart products can all be run through and connected through the Netgear Orbi 4GX. So you may be in a situation where the NBN is giving you a pretty poor result. You're barely getting 50 megabits per second. You're barely getting 20 megabits per second. You might be in a strong Telstra reception area. Then 
this could be the answer for you. And then, and it also creates, it offers that connection. So it brings that cellular connection into your home and shares it around your house using this amazing mesh Wi-Fi router, this mesh Wi-Fi system. So all it requires is that Telstra data SIM. So that's the only other, the, the, the unit itself, the Orbi 4GX costs 399 bucks, and you get the main unit and the smaller satellite unit, which both talk to each other. The only other expense would be the SIM card from Telstra. But here's the thing, if you buy this at Telstra, you can spread out the payments over 24 months. So you might put this on a plan. So you might pay, if you want to do it over 12 months, it's about $33 a month. If you want to put it over 24 months, it's about $16.50 a month. So that's a, that's another way of doing it. And plus the cost of the of the SIM card, which could be up to $70, $75 for 200 gig of data. Now, the only downside I see here is that if you're a heavy downloader, you, you do a lot of Netflix streaming, you do a lot of that, 200 gigabytes might not be enough. Uh, but what happens with these plans, all the Telstra data plans, is that if you do hit your data limit, you're not cut off. Your your speeds are just throttled back and throttled back to about 1.5 megabits per second, which is still fast enough to browse the web, still fast enough to stream music, probably not fast enough to stream video, though, or play online games. So something to keep in mind about the, the type of plan, the amount of data that you have. But again... If you're within your data limits, you still can get speeds that are up to three times faster than the NBN. The Netgear Orbi 4GX router with satellite, it's called the LBK1220. If you want to check out our review, you can see it at techguide.com.au. Now, I'm a big fan of Call of Duty and Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War has certainly delivered. I've got to say, I really enjoyed the campaign. It was great to sort of go back to the early 80s. It's set in 1981. And those of you old enough to remember, uh, Ronald Reagan was president back then. And there was the American arms race against Russia. And there, there was this, this, this tension between Russia and the US. And that was the Cold War. That, that's why it's called Cold War. And that the Cold War was in full swing back then. And this story is set in, in that period, and it represents it great. It, it really took me back when, uh, it, right down to the fashion, the music, it was a, it just captured beautifully that early '80s period. And uh, right off the bat, is a dramatic scene meeting with U.S. President Ronald Reagan. It's so stunningly realistic, and basically, it's this secret meeting green lighting the mission and giving the operatives in the room like Adler and you, you end up becoming your role is, a, is a, a person named Bell I'll explain about that in a sec but basically giving these operatives the permission to do whatever it takes to succeed so right from there you're thinking wow let me at this this is this sounds amazing and there you go and what you do as I mentioned you assume the role of Bell your agent Bell now here's what I like about this game it does have a personal touch to it because when it comes time to be recruited, you're recruited into the game, you need to fill out your name, where you live, your different uh, personality traits, and that actually affects the game. How you act and how you react is reflected in the choices you make about your temperament and your personality traits. And in the game, like in the game, it said Stephen Bell Fennec from Australia and I'm thinking, wow, I'm in the game. It was amazing. The other part I like too is that in your in the the campaign and as you're going through the different various levels, there's also a lot of choices to make. A lot of the characters, like there's an example I'll give you from early in the game where you capture someone and you question them, and then your responses. You can choose the different responses that you you can offer. And that will then give you a different response from that other character that you're talking to. But then you also have the choice of actions. There's one scene early in the game, this isn't a spoiler, where you capture this guy on a rooftop. And your options are take him in for questioning, shoot him, or throw him off the roof. And just on that, I'll just remind parents, if any parents are listening, this, isn't, this is an MA plus game, so it's not for your younger kids. 
15 and older, I'd recommend it. It, it's, it is a little bit bloody and graphic at times, and there are things like that, people being thrown off roofs and things like that. So just just be prepared. If, you, if you're thinking of buying this for a, young, a younger person, uh, there is a rating system in place, so be very careful of that. But the campaign itself uh, does take you through some amazing different environments from the desert to the snow to the mountains. Uh, you do get a lot of variety in, in what you look at. And, and not only are you... Uh, what I liked about it is, yes, this is a first-person shooter and you do a lot of shooting, but you also do a lot of driving. You even fly a helicopter. There's even periods where you don't shoot. You can't shoot. You have to be stealth, stealthy. You've got to sort of sneak around and get past people and not not alert them to your presence. You've got to infiltrate different buildings and solve these different missions. And it, there's a lot of uh, puzzle solving involved as well. So it's not just a straight up shoot them out. There is a lot more involved to that too. And I found it very entertaining. It was about, I think, four, five and a half to six hour campaign if you're sort of stuck at it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it keeps you guessing right to the end. So get work your way through and I'm not going to spoil it, but it, it does it does keep you guessing. And and the, the basics of the mission is that there is uh, this rogue operative named Perseus, and he's got a US made nuclear device. You've got to track it down and try to defuse it. And it's a it's a real real roller coaster ride, a real heart thumper in some parts as well. There is some some scary moments where uh, you are tested to your limit in terms of your skills with the with the controller there, but. Great, great locations from the streets of Berlin, zip lining down a snow-covered mountain while firing your weapon, piloting a gunship through battlefields, fighting your way through a simulated American town. It's this they've, they've got this fake American town. Anyway, you play through the game and you'll see that. Or you're even battling through the jungles of Vietnam. It is a real feast for the eyes and ears as well. Sounds great, looks great. Uh, and the campaign is a winner. Uh, of course, the most popular part of, Black, of Call of Duty, sort of the longest tail of Call of Duty, is the multiplayer. And with the multiplayer, they haven't reinvented the wheel. It's still a really satisfying experience, very engaging experience. It's very much pared down back to basics experience. I think there's only eight maps. So uh, it, it is enjoyable. It is not as involved as Modern Warfare, which I'm still enjoying. It still has uh, great physics and a great graphics engine so that the actual mechanics of the game are also really interesting and very challenging as well. Uh, so multiplayer, it doesn't let down. It's not as good as Modern Warfare, but uh, I think what they haven't done, they've left the core elements that make it enjoyable. So it's still there. The core of what you enjoy as a multiplayer on Call of Duty is still there. And of course, they've got their popular zombie mode as well. I'm not a big fan of zombie mode. I play it sometimes, but uh, the fans like it. It is back for Black Ops Cold War as well. Uh, so check that out. Players can choose in the zombies uh, mode. Uh, they can choose an evacuation point. So you make your way to an evacuation point. After 10 waves of zombies coming at you, you can get rescued. But Call of Duty, Black Ops Cold War. I played it on the PlayStation 5 and it looked amazing. It's also available for the Xbox Series X, the Xbox One, and of course the PlayStation 4. And for PC players, it is there as well. Call of Duty, Black Ops Cold War. I loved it. Any other Call of Duty fan will also love it. But if you want to read my review, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Now here's a little nifty gadget that I reviewed on Tech Guide. It's from a company called Xiaomi, who make phones and all kinds of other things. But they also make a product called the Mi, and that's M-I, Mi, Portable Air Compressor. Now this, at first, it looks like a fat smartphone uh, with, a, with a nozzle, a little pipe coming out of the top. This is actually a little air compressor. So what it is, it can actually top up the, the, your tyre pressure for your car, your bicycle, your motorcycle, can even pump up um, footballs and basketballs, soccer balls, whatever you want to pump up. And it allows you to choose the different, uh, if you want to choose PSI or BAR, so however you want to, uh, however you want to uh, gauge your pressure, it, it uses that, PSI or BAR. So what you do, you move through the different modes. So there's a little uh, click wheel beneath the little display. And you can then choose the pump mode. So you, you, you're going to pump up the tyres on a car or a bike or a motorcycle or a ball. It does give you that mode. And then there's plus and minus keys that allow you to set the right pressure. Now, for my review, I, I pumped up the, the car, the tyres on my Tesla. 
Uh, my back tyres are actually showing that they are a little bit flat, so uh, the, the the car tells you the psi of your of your tyres. And I went from thirty six to forty two with using this little device. I typed in, I, I clicked up on the plus button till I get to forty two. I screwed the nozzle that goes from the device to the my tyre, screwed it in so it's secure. It told me not only my 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 current air pressure, but then when I hit the go button, the centre button. It started, it got to work. So I was making this sound with the, the internal compressor doing its thing, working away. And it took me from 36 to 42 PSI in about four minutes, four and a half minutes. So a handy thing to have if you're on a road trip or just having your car, your tire pressure might be low. Uh, and it's small enough, of course, to carry around with you everywhere. The little nozzle, there's a, there's a little no, a storage port for the nozzle uh, on the left side. So when you actually pull it out of that left side, it turns the display on. When you put the nozzle back into the display port, the storage port, I should say, it does turn the unit off as well. You don't need any any, any external power. It's got an internal 2,000 milliamp hour battery that's good enough, uh, that's got enough power to pump up 41 footballs uh, and it pumps up a football in, a, in one minute. can do that for you. So it's really handy to have in your car, whether you're a, a, a bicycle rider or even a motorcycle rider, you can have it in your glove box or in your bag. And it is very handy if you're on a road trip or uh, you're heading out on a, on, a, on a road trip, very handy to have. If you do a lot of driving, of course, the Xiaomi Mi portable air, air compressor can uh, get you out of a jam if your tyres are a bit low. So it does it is really handy. Rather than having to go to the petrol station to top up your tyres, which is what you normally have to do, you simply whip out the air compressor, the Xiaomi Mi portable air pump, and it will get you to the right pressure. A handy thing to have, and it's only ninety nine dollars as well. And I should say too, it's got a little light, an LED light at the top. So if you're if you're using this at night, it does work very well. Also, ninety nine bucks available from the mestore.com.au. The, the address link is on Tech Guide, and it's coming soon. I understand to JB Hi-Fi, the Xiaomi Mi portable air compressor. Price of just ninety nine bucks could be a driver or rider's best friend. If you want to check out our review, take a look at it techguide.com.au This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, your work, your gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling, and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by our good mates at Belkin. Uh, Belkin have just released a new charger speaker stand. Uh, They also sell cables and batteries, all these great accessories, belkin.com forward slash AU. Now, we we have a lot of questions, and if if the most popular question I get asked is, how do I make my Wi-Fi better? And the the Tech Guide help desk will be me recommending Netgear's Orbi every single week. Uh, So rest assured, if you have got poor Wi-Fi, the Netgear Orbi is the right solution. I did have an inquiry, though, and this woman actually rang me up on 2GB uh, the other day. And she was saying she's got a Sennheiser headset, pair of headphones that are linked to her TV. There's a special receiver that are, that go into the into one of the uh, audio inputs, uh, and she then hears the the TV through the headphones. Now she likes to keep the headphones connected to the TV, so that rather than having to to plug it in and install it every single time, she likes to keep it connected. But she was saying to me, when it's connected, I can't hear the TV. If I just want to hear it normally. What do I do? Now, it, it sounds, it, it, it is a very simple solution. You just go into the settings, sound, and then choose to, to for your audio to come through the, or the TV speakers. And what, what she would be doing, she'd be coming through her audio, one of her audio channels where she's connected her, her headphones, and, and, and that, that would be it. 
But she said she went to TCL, JB Hi-Fi, all these people asking for help, even Sennheiser, and they couldn't work out what she meant and couldn't solve her problem. I solved it for her in 30 seconds. Go to the, go into your settings, go to menu, go to your sound settings, and choose your TV speakers for, the, for your audio to come out through there. It's like choosing the source that you want to hear, HDMI 1, HDMI 2. You've got to also choose your source with the your audio as well you want it to come through the speakers rather than through the headphones it is as simple as that and she was lovely enough i think her name was leanne she was lovely enough to send me a message to say thank you so much all these people i asked jb hi-fi tcl and sennheiser couldn't help me you sorted me out straight away thank you very much for that that is what we're here for The full-time siren has sounded on the show. That's all we've got for you this week. Everything we've spoken about you can find, of course, at techguide.com.au. Get in touch with us. Send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special shout-out, too, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe and private online. Please support the companies that support the Tech Guide podcast. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.